know what today is? It's February 1st. You know what that means in my house? It means Olivia and Nathan's birthday. Fifteen years old are my twins today, and you both are a gift of God to my family and me. I really mean that. Love you both very, very much. All right. Do you remember Hurricane Katrina? That's one of the natural disasters that I remember uh, in, in my life. It, it was something that everyone who uh, hates the former President Bush always goes back to as the great blunder, uh, besides Iraq and Afghanistan and all kinds of other things that they blame him for. But that was one of them where he's, he's just an utter failure. Um, Hurricane Katrina hit Louisiana, and it was expected to be a Category 3 storm, but, but when it made landfall, it, it gained strength to a Category 5. You probably remember this. Um, winds up to 175 miles per hour, earning it the third strongest hurricane ever to make landfall in the U.S., and the, the scope, the size of it, made it the largest uh, on record. Cities, uh, the levees in, um, in New Orleans, the earthen dams were there, were only designed to, to, uh, to withstand a, a hurricane uh, Category 3. So when the storm came ashore, it was an estimated of over 80% of New Orleans was, was underwater. Um, up to 20 feet deep in certain places. Uh, the storm impacted over 90,000 square miles across several states. It cost $81 billion in property damage, earning it the title of the costliest hurricane ever in U.S. history. Now, that's just property damage. That's not economic impact. That was up around $150 additional billion dollars. The final death toll, you remember what that was? 1,836 people, 1,830, almost 2,000 people died in that, in that storm. That's, that's a number comparable to what we lost in 9-11. I know it's less, but it's a significant, significant number of people. There are still 705 individuals that are unaccounted for today due to the hurricane. The storm surge was about 20 feet high when it entered the city. It knocked out everything. There was no electricity. There was no clean, drinkable water. Food supplies were depleted. Fire, police, rescue personnel were overwhelmed. They were unable to do anything. They couldn't get to anyone. And, and, and there were so many people in need, even the ones that they could, they could get to, they, they couldn't meet all of the needs. Horrific scenes of... Uh, dead bodies floating in the floodwaters. I mean, it looked like a third world country. Even the federal government couldn't respond with to something with that magnitude. It took several days for for people to be rescued. And and while there were some who helped, um, many beautiful stories of believers uh, risking their own lives, uh, both during and and after the storm, to help people. Uh, there were others who went into self-preservation mode, or even worse. 
Chaos broke out in a number of places. People looted the flooded and abandoned stores. They, they robbed each other. Several were murdered, assaulted, and, and in the, the Astrodome down there, um, much worse. They say adversity brings out the best in a person. And, and that may be true if you respond correctly to it, but it can also bring out the worst. When challenging circumstances come, they, they really bring out what is already inside of us. They don't make us anything. If, have you ever used that phrase, uh, he made me mad? Nobody made you mad. You responded to that other person, something that they did brought out what was already inside of you. Circumstances do the, do the same thing. And whenever they're really challenging circumstances, we may be able to restrain and we may be able to put on a, put on a good face or we may be able to cover for a while, but when they are, when they are significant, uh, unrelenting, then they, then they expose us. If, if people responded like they did there in, in Katrina, and that city cut off only for a few days, what do you think the response would be if, if that happened in the entire country? The entire country was shut down like, like New Orleans was. How do you think people would respond if the entire economy of the United States was suddenly devastated, the stock market crashed, the banks were locked up, it went to $40 a gallon for gasoline. All of the drinking water was contaminated. And this lasted for a, for, for a period of time. Well, if you, could, if you can wrap your mind around that, you're going you're gonna to see... you got a good image in your mind of what, of what happened in Egypt. We're going to see today how Egypt responds to similar events and and how they, that exposes what's already inside of their, of their heart. And if you can, if you can imagine what that is, you, you, you'll, you'll have an idea of what it was like when God turned the Nile River into blood. Now, a river to us is a, is a fun thing. You, you, ride, you, know, you ski on a boat, uh, you, you fish, it's, it, yeah, you see some barges going up and down the river if you're from Ohio or or over in West Virginia, but, but it doesn't have the significance in our mind as the, as the Nile did. The Nile River meant everything to the Egyptians. It, it was their mode of transportation. It was their source of nourishment. It's where they, they, they got their water. It's, it's, it's how they, they prepared their crops. They fished it. Uh, every year, whenever it flooded, it, it filled all of their farmlands with fertile soil to produce crops the next year. And because of that, the Nile was an object of, of worship. And when God confronts Pharaoh and, and the Egyptians, He exposes us. And as we saw last week, when He confronts us with who He is and what He requires, we can either respond with a soft heart like Moses or Aaron, or, or we can resist with a hardened heart like, like Pharaoh. When we do the latter, when we respond like, like Pharaoh, God increases the pressure and moves us from confrontation to consequences. 
Disobeying God always has repercussions. You who have lived very long know that lesson well. Well, today we're going to see what that means for Pharaoh and how God begins to to set up these plagues, ten total, that will take us through a number of chapters in Exodus. So open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 7. We're going to begin reading in verse 14. So the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning when he goes out to the water and you shall stand by the banks, by the river banks, and meet him. And the rod which was turned to a serpent, you shall take in your hand, and you shall say to him, The Lord, God of the Hebrews, has sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed, even now, All the way up to this point, you will not hear. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with the rod that is in my hand, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that are in the river shall die, and the river shall stink, and the Egyptians will will loathe or become weary to drink the water of the river. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your rod and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams, over the rivers, over their ponds, over all their pools of water, that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in the wood and in the stone. And Moses and Aaron did so just as the Lord commanded. So he lifted up the rod and struck the waters that were in the river in the sight of the Pharaoh and in the sight of the servants. And all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. The fish that were in the river died, the river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink the water of the river. So there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. Then the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. And Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house. Neither was his heart moved by this. So all the Egyptians dug all around the river for water to drink, because they could not drink the water of the river. And seven days passed after the Lord struck the river. Now, in chapter 7, verses 1 through 13, that's the introduction, and that's the initial confrontation between God and Pharaoh. God will confront Pharaoh, and he'll do that through Moses. Moses will be like God to him. He will be like a divine representative. He's representing God, and he will have a representative with him. He'll have a prophet. That will be Aaron who will do his speaking. God will confront 
Pharaoh. And we saw that last week in Pharaoh's response. This section, the confrontation turns to consequence. Exactly what happens whenever you refuse to listen to God? What happens when you refuse to listen to God? Does He forget about it? Does somewhere else on the planet somebody have a greater need that causes attention? And then a month or so later he goes, Oh, you know, Brian didn't do what he was supposed to do even after I confronted him. I'll now go back in and deal with him. Does he say, uh, You know, your frame is but dust. It's okay. It's not that big a deal. Be sure, God knows our frames are dust. And He is very gracious and merciful and compassionate and never puts on us more than we're able to bear, more than He was willing to put in us to to fulfill it or bear it up. But when God directly confronts us and we refuse to listen to Him, then consequences come. And there are three scenes in this second section, and I would, I would just, the theme here is consequences, from confrontation to consequences. And there are three scenes, just like you saw before, in the exact same order, starting in verse 14. Verse 14 through 19, God speaks. He tells Moses and Aaron exactly what He wants them to do. Then in verse 20, Moses and Aaron obey. 20 and 21. And then, beginning in verse 22 through 25, exact same order as before, Pharaoh rejects. And we'll see how that advances next week. So, our title is, proposition is, When Confrontation Turns to to Consequence. And the first thing that you'll see here in this in this, in this first section where God is speaking, is God's judgment begins to take form. Think of it like a storm cloud brewing. God's judgment begins to take form. Look at you at verse 14. So the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning. As God's judgment upon Pharaoh begins to, to take form, these consequences that, that he's, going to, he's going to use for a number of purposes, as it begins to take form, the first thing I want you to notice is it's particular. It's particular. God commands Moses to go to Pharaoh in the morning. He's to go meet him where he is at, and he's to speak against the false gods of Egypt. It's no mistake that Moses is sent to Pharaoh... There's an additional confrontation, and it's no mistake that God sends him when Pharaoh goes out early in the morning beside the banks of the Nile. And we're not told exactly why Pharaoh is going to the river, but it's it's very likely it involves some form of worship on his part. Whether it was he went there to worship, or whenever he got there, he performed some act of, of worship. Pharaoh is the, is the primary deity in, in Egypt. He is Pharaoh. He is God. But the Nile was the lifeblood. It was honored. The Lord instructs Moses to, to warn Pharaoh that his, 
that his failure to let Israel go will result in a sign that bears not only the evidence of the Lord's power, but also the physical effects of his judgment. Not only were there gods associated with the Nile, but also fertility and blessing and happiness was also associated with the the river. We just sang some beautiful hymns to the Lord, about the Lord. Listen to an Egyptian hymn. Hail to thee, old Nile, that issues forth from the earth to keep Egypt alive. He the waters the, he that waters the meadows which recreated in order to give to keep every kid alive. He that makes to drink the desert and the place distant from water that is his due coming down from heaven. Your hymns sung to the Nile. There are ten plagues that you're going to see. Uh, In each one, God's going to systematically confront and destroy Egypt's gods. And they all culminate in the the death of of Pharaoh's firstborn. They build in severity. And each time, Pharaoh refuses to to listen to, to the Lord. There is a particular deity that is associated with each of these places. There's a particular judgment because God is attacking a particular deity and a particular trust. I put up a uh, uh, a chart for you which has... Um, you probably won't be able to see it well, but I'll print it out for you. Um, it lists all the ten plagues down one side. It lists all of the warnings that God gives before He unleashes the judgment. It lists Pharaoh's response. And then it shows who God was attacking. He's supreme over the God of the Nile. That's the one that he's dealing with right now. The, the plagues come in three waves. Plagues 1, 2, and 3 introduce irritations. Plagues 4, 5, and 6 bring destructions. And plagues 7, 8, and 9 bring death. And the tenth plague is the death of Egypt's future. The firstborn of Pharaoh, Pharaoh being a god, his firstborn son is deified and he will become god. His judgment begins to take form. It's, It's very purposeful. It's very particular. He goes to Pharaoh, he meets Pharaoh where he's at in his worship, and he will do that all alone. It's also responsive. As God's judgment begins to take form, it's particular, it's responsive. As it begins to take shape, you're going to see that it's in response to what Egypt is doing and what Pharaoh is doing. Look, if you would, at verse 16. You're going to go to Pharaoh in the morning when he's out by the Nile because of what he's doing and who the Nile is associated with. And you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you, saying, Let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed, until now... 
you would not hear. You will not hear. You refuse to hear. What's he saying there? This judgment, Pharaoh, is in response to the message that I've already brought you, that you've already rejected over and over and over. God reminds Pharaoh it's his refusal to obey the Lord that is the cause of of God's acts. It's, you have not listened to me. That's what he wants Moses to tell him. And he wants Moses to tell him in a specific place while Pharaoh is taking comfort in one of his greatest gods. And I want you to also notice that that God's demand never changed. I mean, you can go all the way back in the the beginning of Exodus and, and the exact same thing that Moses, God is commanding Moses to say to Pharaoh right now in verse 16, the Lord God of the Hebrews said, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness is the exact same thing he's been saying all along. God didn't negotiate. He didn't counter-offer, he didn't change the demands. It's the exact same thing. And Pharaoh is responding the exact same same way. What God demands today is the same thing that God demanded during the, the time of the apostles and the same thing that God demanded during the time of Moses and the same thing that He demands of Pharaoh is the same thing that He demands of me and of you and every person on the on the planet. And people ask, what does God require of me? Require of me? The answer hasn't changed. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's never changed. It's turn from your sin and look to God for provision, for covering. It's never changed. And no doubt, if Pharaoh would have done that, the Lord would have fulfilled exactly what He promised. God's on one hand here, uh, whenever he, he tells Moses to go say the specific thing to Pharaoh, on one hand He's showing that His terms haven't changed, and as Pharaoh refuses to yield, God is basically saying to Pharaoh, you have no one to blame but yourself. Do you think that God has uh, Moses say this because Moses or Pharaoh can't remember? Of course not. He's making the case to Pharaoh. This judgment that's getting ready to be unleashed is on your head. Just as God doesn't demand anything different in the past... Um, the exact same thing that you see happening here with Pharaoh when God's judgment begins to take form. It'll be particular and it'll be responsive is exactly the way that it's going to be in the, in the future. Turn with me, if you would, over to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. It's the scene of the great white throne judgment. It's called a great white throne trying to communicate its, its position of authority. It is, it is God's sovereign ruling throne, and from that throne... He executes His right to rule, and in this case, judgment. 
It says, those whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was no place found for them, meaning to, to hide. It's an awesome picture. Describes how the, the dead, small and great, pharaohs and slaves are all standing before this God and the books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And look at what it says here. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Now, why do you think those things are recorded? They're things recorded in the books and they were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. You think it's because God has to write it down so He can remember what, what you did whenever you were 15? Or, you know, boy, there's just, there's just billions of people out there. Why do you think He does that? And why do you think the books are open? And why do you think that they're read? And why do you think case by case, person by person, as an individual stands before the sovereign King and Lord and ruler of the universe and gives an account for every deed that was done and why are all of the deeds read in the presence of, of the King, God, and the person that, that stands before the, before the throne? Exact same reason that you find in Exodus 7. What will be written in the book? It will be a record of God's unchanging commands and each man's rejection of those commands, each case. And an individual will be personally judged and that judgment will be a response. When that is done, no one will stand before God and say, See, I've got a case. <laughs> I didn't do that. There won't be any arguing. There won't be, it will be an open and shut case. And you will stand there if you're apart from Christ and you will... The only thing that you can say to the Lord is you're just to do with me exactly what you're getting ready to do. And that's exactly what God is doing to Pharaoh. Turn back to Exodus. What are we learning from a foundation series? Who's the main character? God's the main character. What does this passage teach us about God? <laughs> well, there's two things right there. His demands never change. And the way that He does business doesn't change either. It's particular. It's a response. So His judgment takes form. And it's also confirming. Look at verse 17. But indeed, until now, you will not hear. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord, that I am Yahweh. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river. It's confirming. It's judgment is confirming. And as the plagues increase in severity, at the start of each group of plagues, you remember I told you that, that, there, that there are three plagues in one group, three plagues in another group, three plagues in the, in the final group. Irritations, destruction, and death. And at the beginning of each one of those three plagues, there is a similar statement like this. Listen to Exodus. This is Exodus 7, 17. By this you will know. By what? By this judgment. 
By this judgment, you will know. By this consequence, you are to learn. It's to be confirmed that I've given you a command, that you've rejected it, and that I am God. I have the right to do that. Listen to Exodus 8.28. Here's the beginning of the second set of plagues. That you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. Listen to Exodus 9.14. So that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. Every single one of those. 7.17.8.22.9.14 Introducing a new wave of plagues. Every one of those begins with a purpose clause. The purpose is that you will know that I am the Lord. The purpose is that you will know I am sovereign over Egypt and over all. The purpose is that you will know that I am the only true God. And the purpose of judgment is ultimately to reveal God. God graciously reveals Himself to mankind through creation. He graciously reveals Himself through the Gospel and the countless graces that we experience on a daily basis in life. And in the end, at that scene that we just read earlier, those who refuse to listen, His final revelation of Himself will be judgment. What does the Bible say will happen at the end? Will there be Muslims over here? Jesus worshipers over here? People who are Taoists over here? At that moment, what, what, what does the Bible say? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess what? That Jesus Christ is God. He's Lord. He's the sovereign creator of all things. They will confess that. Will they confess that because they're forced to? They'll confess that because of that final revelation. And God, in the final judgment, will glorify Himself as you've heard me say a number of times, God will either be glorified in your salvation or He will be glorified in your damnation. The justice of God will be put on display in hell for all eternity or the grace of God will be put on display in heaven for all eternity. Oh, today is the day of salvation. Right now you have the opportunity to respond to the grace of God. But if you refuse to do that, even your rejection, the final revelation that God will give of Himself for all the angels and everyone to see is judgment and it will be so that all will know that He is, he is the Lord. God's judgment begins to take form. Moses' faith takes action. Look at verse 20. Second here, Moses' faith takes action. Verse 20. Look at verse 20. After God tells Moses and Aaron what to do, it says, and Moses and Aaron did so just as the Lord commanded. Does that sound familiar? That was the exact phrase that was repeated twice in verses 6 and verses 10 of the first confrontation. Here it is again in the, in the consequence. Moses did just as the Lord commanded. Only this time, emphasis is on Moses' action. The instructions that the Lord gives Moses is full of commands. Go, in verse 15, say, stand, take, 
stretch. He emphasizes Moses did just as the Lord commanded. And faith requires action. What does James say about faith that has no fruit? We say we have faith, but nothing comes from that faith. What happens? It's not real. It's dead. And when Moses obeys the Lord, once again, Pharaoh resists. Moses does exactly as the Lord commands. He has faith. He acts on that faith. He carries out exactly what the Lord tells him to do. And Pharaoh does exactly the opposite, just like before. And now there's no confirming sign. You remember when Pharaoh rejected before? God says, Aaron, throw down your staff and it will, it will turn into a snake. And that's exactly what he does to confirm to Pharaoh that these are my representatives and the message I'm giving you is true and right and accurate. He confirms it with this sign. And then Pharaoh turns to the magicians and the magicians mimic that and counterfeit it. And then how does that end? And then when they turn their staff into a snake, it says then Aaron's staff gobbled up theirs. A confirming sign. Now you're going in the wrong direction, Pharaoh. And now there's no confirming sign. There's just a, a consequence. And that's the third theme sub-theme in this section, Pharaoh's resistance brings consequence. Verse 22. The magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed to them, just as the Lord commanded. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house. Neither was his heart moved by this. Do you hear any repetition there? You can tell me you hear something repeated. God's trying to emphasize something. Pharaoh's heart grew hard. Pharaoh did not heed. Pharaoh turned and went into his house. Neither was his heart moved by this. Pharaoh's resistance is emphasized. And it brings a consequence. Before, Pharaoh deflected. He self-deceived. And then he disregarded God's warning. And now he resists even the consequences. Now watch this progression. Obstinance brings a warning. Pharaoh refuses to believe even when confronted by Moses and Aaron with a divine message and evidence, and God responds with a warning. God will warn you, but if you resist, you invite wrath. Resistance invites wrath. That's exactly what Pharaoh did. God says it's particular, it's a response, and it's confirming of who I am. And after God warns Pharaoh in verse 14, records Pharaoh's response. It literally says Pharaoh's heart was unyielding. He heard, he saw, yet he refused. And here, he even walks away. He, he turns and he goes back into his own house. It's as if, I'm not listening. I'm done with you. You ever told somebody about the Lord, they slam the door in your face literally? I've had it happen a number of times. I've been cussed till a fly wouldn't light on me when I've told people about the Lord. Similar to what Pharaoh does here. It's like, I have no need for you. 
And he goes back into his house. Rejection. Rejecting brings suffering. Obstinance brings warning. Resisting invites wrath. And rejecting brings suffering. Pharaoh calls the magicians to eat uh, from Egypt. They counterfeit another miracle, but I want you to notice what they do. Verse 22, the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. What does that mean? They did so. They did the same thing. They turned water into blood. How exactly does that help anything? Look, we can do the same thing. They don't fix the problem. I mean, if their gods were really great, and if they could do anything, that they would, they would take the water that was already blood and they'd turn it back into water. But, but they can't do that. It doesn't remove the testimony of God's authority and power. It surely didn't remove His judgment. It only served as a tool for Pharaoh to latch onto with his unbelief. Have you ever paid attention to the how human beings will go to the greatest lengths to deny a simple witness of God? They'll devise complex reasoning, sophisticated philosophies, all to find a way to reject the plain wisdom of God and the simple plan of salvation. It takes more faith to believe man's excuse to explain away God than it does to believe the message of God to begin with. Jesus said in Matthew twenty three thirty seven, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who killed the prophets and stoned those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you would not. You were unwilling. The prophets and those sent to her are bringing the message to Jerusalem. I am the Lord confirming over and over. And they were unwilling, unyielding. And that always brings suffering. It brought suffering to Jerusalem, and it brings suffering to Pharaoh, but it also brings suffering to others as well. Look at verse 24. Now notice it turns from the magicians to Pharaoh and now to all the Egyptians. So all the Egyptians dug around the river for water to drink. We don't have time to look at it, but you can go back. This judgment goes not just to the Nile, but all of its tributaries and ponds and streams. There is not a single place. And this is not red algae that, that turned the water to look like blood and make it stink. This is blood, or there is no point to this miracle. This is, this is a divine miracle, not anything else. And here, all the Egyptians dug around the river for water to drink because they could not drink the water of the river. It's a pitiful sight. You just picture all of these people. They can't go to the water. The water is, has a stench. And they're scratching around in the ground trying to find something to quench their, their thirst, to give to their children, to give their animals something to drink. And here, the people of Egypt are paying for the sin of Pharaoh who was to lead and protect and to guide them. But they're not innocent themselves, are they? What could the Egyptians have done rather than go 
dig all around the river for water to drink. They could have turned to Yahweh, couldn't they? Rejection brings suffering not only to yourself but to others. Fathers, remember your rejection of God will bring suffering not only on yourself but upon your wife and your children and your grandchildren and anybody else who's there. If you're a leader, the consequences that fall on your life can affect others, can't they? If you're a mother, if you're a boss, business owner, whatever it might be, Look at how this ends in verse 25. And seven days passed after the Lord had struck the river. Seven days passed. Why does this end like that? And seven days passed. It's not because it's lucky number seven. And there's some kind of numerical Bible code there. You need to use that to play the lottery this week. It's a specific purpose. And it's not the number of seven. It ends with with God lets them think about it and, and He gives them time to repent before the next wave of consequences come. I think that's what it means. It was after the Lord struck the river. It happens. The consequences come. Pharaoh responds. He rejects. He resists. The people don't turn to Yahweh. They turn to their own devices and begin to dig around the river. And seven days passed. And then you find in verse 1 of chapter 8, and the Lord spoke to Moses, go to Pharaoh. So we're back to Pharaoh again. And God will unleash another consequence and will just step deeper and deeper and they'll get stronger and stronger until Pharaoh finally relents. And in each place, he's going to harden his heart. Is God giving you time now? Something has fallen in the past. You know what you need to do. You know God's commands. You know what you're supposed to do about it. And... And there's this lull. Something's coming out here. But He's giving you this time to get things right with Him. The question is, will you turn to the Lord and have faith that is fulfilled in action? Or will you do like Pharaoh? And that's a be obstinate and bring a warning and go through the progression until suffering takes place. Let's you bow your heads. It's your opportunity to respond to the message now. We've heard the word of the Lord. Just think about what God has said to us today and I want to invite Adam to come up as you're considering where are you at in this story? What is God teaching you about Himself, about your life? Is He giving you time? Don't presume. Upon the grace of God, repent, believe. Nothing's changed. 
same demands and same provision, Jesus Christ. Father, we love You and praise You. We thank You that You have given us a clear Word. Oh Lord, we beg You, I beg You by Your Spirit, Father, that You would grant faith, that You would take what we know and that You would, you would increase it. We, we say, we believe, help our unbelief. We understand what this says, Lord. And yet, without You doing something in us, without the power of Your Spirit, Lord, we will not do it. And, and that will not make us any less accountable. We are responsible. We need You, Lord. We desperately need You. And I pray... that you would stop the progression of consequence at stage one in the life of people who are here, the lives of people who are here, and it not go to two or three or four or cost the ultimate price. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for Jesus who gives us forgiveness and freedom at any moment we turn to him. We pray it in his name. Amen.